You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to your favorite part of the week. That would be the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. We have many, many various topics, as you would imagine, from a multi-segmented podcast about Warhammer. We have a letter from a listener talking about um, modifying his models for his Space Marine Army, and I'm joined by my wife on that one. We also have a, well, here's an idea about the floor is lava. Well, that's a mission anyway. It's pretty neat. You should listen to it. And we also have a want that or want that not with the Dread Scythe Herodons, which that is a pretty cool name. Are they cool models? Guess you'll have to find out, won't you? And we also have a Get Brutal with Pemcron talking about the Whispering Wood, which is awesome from Brutality. And finally, we have Real Talk with the Pemcron with Lore Master Alex. Why don't women be playing Warhammer? Uh-oh, trigger warning. Should have said trigger warning because that is a hot-button topic. And honestly, you'll just have to listen to what we have to say about it. Um, you know it's no surprise, okay? No matter what number you want to throw out there, men are the predominant gender that play Warhammer. That is entirely undeniable. But we try to dive into the reasons why that might be and what we could do to, you know, change that or do we have to change that or whatever. So generally, I think I'm getting a point, uh, the point across to you that we discuss the topic. I hope that's what you got from all that. I also want to mention that the uh, Pimp Crown Warhammer podcast is supported entirely by Patreon. So if you would be so kind as to become a Pimp Cronian and join us on Patreon, that would be just swell. Because the main reason why I don't want any actual advertisers for this show is because I want to be completely free to say exactly what I want to say. At Bell of Lost Souls, for obvious reasons... I can't just say whatever I feel like. And, you know, that's that's not my business. That's their business, and I'm writing for them, so that's their prerogative. But on my podcast, I can say exactly what I want, and that is freedom, people. Did you just hear that bald eagle in the background? Go, I think that's a... Is that a... Did that sound like a bald eagle? Pretty sure it didn't. But the point is, is that somebody somewhere is playing Yankee Doodle and there's an American flag flying in front of a sunset. As I say that on the Pimp Crown Warhammer podcast, I can say whatever I want. And so I, just like PBS, rely on viewers like you to support the show. And we have a new reward thing that we're offering, which, of course, a lot of you are like, I don't care. But guess what? Skip it if you don't like it. Otherwise, no, actually, don't do that. Please listen. So... Each month, I am producing at least one new mission, which is for use with your very favorite futuristic or heroic fantasy 28mm scale game that uses D6s, okay? It's not actually for any specific game or games or genre, but it actually works really nice with all of them. And it's the same level of uh, creativity and funness, if that's a word, which I'm certain it's not, 
that you come to expect from things from the Pemcron. I hope that you uh, will join us on there and pick up that, uh, like I said, each month we'll be putting out new missions. And once I get a couple of those new missions out there, I'm really excited to be releasing a campaign, uh, a couple ladder campaigns. I always feel a bit unfulfilled when I read other ladder campaigns that are like, oh, here's three games. And whoever won the first or second game, it really had no bearing on the last game. Because I played one of those, and it was really not that fun. I played one with a friend, and I won the first game. And I was like, cool. Then we get to the second game in this ladder campaign, or tree campaign. And I won the second game. And I was like, awesome. And then the third game was not at all affected by the first two. And he won that one, winning him the campaign. And I think to myself, why did I care about winning the first two? If he just straight up wins the third one and that wins the whole campaign? I don't know. That was a published campaign from a certain company that I will not name. So anyway, uh, these missions are eventually going to be compiled into a big old supplement book for use with your favorite futuristic or heroic fantasy 28 millimeter game that uses d6s okay i'm i know you're sitting at home or at work or wherever and you're just thinking a shit ton of lists of different games that fit that genre and it should be pretty much compatible with any of them now of course some things you may have to tweak just a bit here or there but i'm very excited about it and i hope you are too either way I will let this show go on because, you know, I've been rambling for a long time and this is what they call native advertising. Isn't that exciting? That is your little peek behind the curtain of this whole radio stuff that I bullshit my way through and pretend like I know what I'm doing, but I totally don't. And I think it's time for the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast to get underway, folks. Oh, by the way, patreon.com slash Pimpcron. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. It is time again for Pimpcron reading fan mail. I just had my wife come in, which is, we'll call her Cronette. I'll go by Cronette or Wife of Pimp. Wife of Pimp. I like that. I do call you my wife. Yeah. Yeah. Wife? Yeah. Uh, yes, husband. Exactly. Yeah. We're very formal. Um. Anyway, so she's going to read the letter... And we will see what somebody has written. Okay, this one is from Kenny T. 18. Pimpster, great articles. And I am working on building my Space Marine army, but am trying to mod it out. I have seen some crazy mods, but ain't keen on any. What kind of mods have you done or seen? That was by Kenny T. I don't know if I said that already. Kenny T. Oh, um, 18. Kenny T. 18. Kenny T. 18. I wonder if that's his legal name. Um, okay, Mr. 18. Uh, I don't know how to answer that exactly. I mean, as far as... Uh, so what was specifically was the question? The Is question it... was, have you seen... Oh, I have seen some crazy mods, but ain't keen on any. So what kind <laughs> <laughs> He ain't keen on them. What, what kind of mods have you done or seen? I'm guessing he's looking for ideas. Okay. Um, I am not much of a modder. I should have had my friend uh, Loremaster Alex in on here because he is the master modder. 
Um, well, I would say that you should just Google search and um, find any number of things that people have modded for their armies. Like, there's that one chapter of Space Marines where they have that genetic defect where they're, like, have dragon bones coming out, um, kind of like Wolverine-style stuff. I forget what they're called. Somebody's probably yelling at their radio right now with the chapter name. And um, uh, they, you know, of course, use different bits from other models for that. Like, I personally would start with whatever your backstory is. If you have a particular backstory for your army and it makes sense for them to be modded, like, um, for instance, my friend Alex, one of his armies was a feudal world which um, was conscripted into the Imperial Guard. So what he would do is take the uh, Empire men-at-arms with the shields and the truncheons or the maces or whatever, and he would keep the shields for one guy but give him a las gun or take away both and just give him a buy guardsman arms and put them on there. Now, that's not really helpful for your Space Marine suggestion, but it's basically the same thing. So, you know, like for um, if you're if you had some sort of mutation in your chapter, then it would be good to go on eBay and buy specific bits from whatever strikes your fancy. You know, you could cut off their hands and buy uh, crypt ghoul hands or something and give them claws. Or, um, of course, there's also third-party sites that sell all kinds of, like Anvil Industries, different torsos and heads and arms and weapons, and it's all pretty much Space Marine stuff. But Haven't you modded a couple of your armies? Oh, I, I've modded my armies, but not specifically Space Marines. So I'm trying to think exactly. Like, I'm not much of a modder. So I've done it, but not that much. And none of my Space Marines. Um, my Space Wolves are actually Mantix Forgefather models because my Space Wolves are a squats play-as army. Yeah, that's, they're actually pretty cool again. Yes, yeah. but I didn't have to mod too much on them except for, like, give them plasma guns and actual weaponry that you know, Mantic obviously does not come with. But uh, I would definitely say that if you are a narrative player that you should start with the background of the army and come up with it organically versus just saying, hey, I want my guys to have fancy hats. Well, I mean, you can do that. But personally, I would give it some meaning behind it instead of um, just deciding to do something weird. Um, but of course, if, you know, doing something weird strikes your fancy, then go ahead and do that. Didn't you uh, come across uh, a mod before with Minnie and Mickey Mouse? That's my favorite one when I think about weird oh, mods. Oh, God. That would not be a mod I suggest. But um, we went on a bro trip one time, and pl I played against a guy, and this is one of my famous um, adversaries I ever played. He was fairly nice, but he had an all-mouse Imperial Guard army where he took Imperial Guard bodies but bought Skaven heads, the Skaven of the Rats for AOS, and um, he put skaven heads on all of them and but that i mean that was okay that looked kind of cool but for some strange reason he decided to use a figurine of mickey and minnie mouse and mickey let's say was commissar yarrick and minnie was some other named character for imperial guard and that was pretty funny but also a little nutty so that's um there's an idea for you <laughs> <laughs> hey. thank you again um kenny yeah, Kenny T, I think. Kenny I T, thank you very much. Want that or want that not? Hey, Lord Master Alex. Hey, man, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Hey, guess what? What? I've started recording. This oh. is a want that or want that not. Man, why are you in my house doing I'm in the shh, shower. Shh, shh, shh. Just, just go with it. It's a Dread Scythe Herodin. And this is what we're talking about on Want That or Want That Not. It's Age of Sigmar Night Haunt unit. 
And, and like with all Night Haunts, I gotta say, it's a beautiful model. It really is. It's like a, it's like a Tyranid Hormagon had a baby with a ghost. That also like. had a napkin thrown on it. Had a napkin thrown on They got flowers in their hair, too, which I just think is a nice touch. Yeah. You know, they're ghostly entities. But they, they're care deadly, about their, they care about their looks. But they care about their appearance. They, they yeah. think, you know what? I'm wearing rags. I've got <laughs> scythes for hands. What can I do to spice this look up? Dead flowers. And dead flowers is exactly what I would go for. Yeah. So they even pay extra for those streaks in their hair. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I And, and you really got to find a scythe that's like, got to get his, his, his scythe in there just right to, to put that streak in. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's an issue, honestly. They... Yeah. um. Uh, you know, how do you comb your hair when you have two big blades for hands? Right. But enough BS. On a serious note, um, I like these models. They are pretty. They're awesome looking. I mean... And just like the other ones that we talked about that were ghostly, I, I feel like these would be great for conversions. Mm -hmm. um, especially, like, if you're playing Inquisition, it'd be a great demon host conversion. Oh, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you have the demon host standing up in the middle, like, convulsing, and just have this coming out the back. Yeah. And go with, like, more of a clearer coat color where he looks, like, translucent. I like all of these, but the one that I really like, I'm assuming, is the sergeant of it. Yeah, with the, the, four, uh, with the four. four arms. That is so cool. I actually wish they all had four arms because I like yeah. that look. Yeah. Um, but they um, they're very interesting. I mean, they have hair, but they're a skull. I don't know how that works. Yeah. And I have so many questions. Well, I feel like the skull <laughs> sections. I like that one in the back. It's like, yo, dog. <laughs> hey. It's like she's dropping the hottest album of. Yeah, fire album release right yeah. there. And, uh, like, some of them are shy. Like, look, her shoulder's up. She's like, oh, don't look at me. My hair's a mess. I just got out of the grave. God. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you look at it, I feel like it, there's some skeletal section and that this is ectoplasm is just pouring off of them, which is I, what's causing them to levitate. I don't know how you explain the sides, though. I mean, they're humanoid. They have arms. They have a head, right? Well, but... if you look at the sides, they're a different color and a different texture. So I'm thinking they're they're sides that were attached to the skeletal frame. I guess that's post, true. Post death. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't know who goes around doing this. Well, obviously whoever keeps summoning them, I would. So assume. who do so you think puts the flowers in their hair? The necromancers. There's they, like a necromancer beautician. Yeah. Polishes their bone skull. Well, if you look at a mortician, that's what he does. It makes you look good that's when true. you're dead. A mortician, a beautician. I never thought of that. Yeah, a I did think of that. Mortician. I did think of that. Yeah. Look at these sexy close-ups. Oh my goodness! Wow! Look, there's a little bit of fence under that one. Oh yeah, no offense. <laughs> no, it wasn't. No. Look at this. This is like, look, this four is like a Brady Bunch, like a glamour shot. Yeah, the Brady all like, Bunch. Hey, I'm Tammy. Hi, I'm Sarah. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> <laughs> look at this one's laughing. Yeah. It's... This one's the one that's mad about Marsha. Yeah. <laughs> But the roses, I mean, actually, um, to be such a bland model. It looks like a bunch of, it looks like Skeletor's harem. It does. Yeah. But they need to have yellow faces. Yellow faces. You know. Well, you can paint them. That's true. But the, I think to be such <laughs> Skeletor, a. Skeletor, you never come. Typically, <laughs> typically, uh, when you have these drab, like, ethereal models, they're, yeah. they're like one color. They're like a bluish or a greenish or whatever. I feel like the flowers are a great way to kind of break it up. Yeah, and add it, some extra color. My only thing is I wish for the demo color they went with, like, a blood red. Something more stark. Like a, yeah, like a rose. Yeah. Something like crimson rose color. Something that would really offset it, you know? Yeah. Is this, do you think this is, let me think of some sort of seal joke. 
Seal joke? Kiss from a rose on... Kiss by a rose on the grave. Baby. Yeah. I was going to say, wait, they don't have pock marks on their faces. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... Uh, do you want this or want this not? I would certainly want this. Now, you don't play Night Haunt, but you say for conversions, you'd really like it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I do a lot of conversion work and custom uh, jobs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I could easily, just like those other ones, I could see these being used in, like, demon hosts. If you want to go with, like, a, almost like an ethereal-looking land raider, you know, like, have these coming out of the land oh, raider. Oh, yeah. Like a cast base marine something. Yeah. And have, like, a sorcerer sitting in the back commanding them or something. Yeah. I um I really like this too. Honestly, of all the Night Haunt stuff, mm-hmm. these Dread Scythe Herodons really get me excited for a Night Haunt. Get your motor running? Uh yes, they do. I think it's the flower in their hair. Yeah. They're they're just so fancy. Well, you know, you also have you have your custom vampire army. I would love to see you incorporate some Night Haunt stuff into that custom vampire army. Yeah. For forty K. Yeah, it's your true. Vampire Dark Eldar. Yeah, my Dark Eldar vamps. Yeah. Um but anyway, overall <laughs> it is a Want that and want that from the two of us. Yeah, most definitely. They're really cool models. 10 for 45. I mean, I hate to be saying this, but it's really not that bad. Yeah. It's yeah. 450 per model, which kind of hurts my heart. But um, they're they're beautiful. They look awesome. I have no idea what the rules are. I have not looked, but they just look awesome. Yeah, definitely. So we both want that, and I'll see you in a second. I'm going to dry off. <laughs> now, here's an idea. Dude, I just realized what time it is. It's time for, well, here's an idea with the Pimp Crown. And I will be hearkening back to a mission that is near and dear to my heart. Much like you may remember, uh, Just James and I discussed the junkyard scenario. This is one of my very favorite scenarios that we have ever come up with. And it is the King of the Hill scenario. Now, I know what all of you are thinking. You're thinking, uh, King of the Hill, uh, number one, was a great cartoon. But number two is something that everyone's familiar with in one way or the other, like a lot of shooting games have King of the Hill and whatnot. But this was a really interesting narrative battle that we did, and we've played it a couple times, and it was always one of my very favorites. So first off, you have to have something in the center that's probably about one foot by one foot that appears to be elevated off the ground. It could be a mountain, it could be a bastion, it could be a fortress, it could be whatever. And you guys all need to go into this mission having a list in mind that you know can deal with the situations, the trials and tribulations that are thrown at you during this mission. Now, what exactly is the issue, you say? Well, I heard you, number one, which was kind of weird. Number two, the issue is that there's an object of some sort on the center of the board on top of that one foot by one foot thing, and all of you want it. So it's basically one objective in the very center, and it's whoever has the most models, etc., etc., like normal within six or three inches of it at the end of the game. But here's an interesting facet to it. You all are starting on the ground and you are in deployment zones as normal, however you want to deploy. And each turn you are rolling to see if something catastrophic happens to this board. And what I mean by that is that there's either, you can make it whatever you want, but we usually did lava like a volcano uh, erupted nearby. And you know, on the first turn, it doesn't go off at all. On the second turn, it's, you know, a five up. It's on the third turn, it's a four up and, and, and so on and so forth until it finally happens. And basically, the turn that it happens, any models that are on the board, like on the ground, not on top of a building or on top of the, the centerpiece that's elevated, if their base is touching the mat or the bottom floor, 
they are all swept away either in, let's say, a tidal wave of water or uh, of magma or whatever. And a local brewery maybe exploded, uh, a molasses flood, anything like that. And basically, you guys are all going to be, you don't know when it's going to happen, but you very likely will have part of your army destroyed by this catastrophe. And it's cool because you guys all need to make lists that deal with this. You know, you should have like, um, I think we said you couldn't have more than 25% of your army with fly, um, and that sort of thing, uh, points wise. So basically, you are trying to race the clock and get on top of this uh, mountain or whatever this is in the center of the board, or alternatively on any other piece of land, but the problem with that is then you're not near the objective. And we may have started rolling for the magma on turn three, come to think of it. But anyway, and the point is that it's um, kind of like musical chairs in the fact that there's not enough room for all of you on this tiny little island in the center with the objective. And it makes it really, really interesting because there's a lot of strategy involved with that, not only with your list making, with, you know, capping it at 25% of your list or whatever with the keyword fly, but also you have your deep strikers and so on and so forth. And most armies generally speaking, don't have a lot of fly. I know Eldar does, you know, you got jet bikes and you've got scourges and you've got whatever, but generally most armies don't rely heavily on fly. So you have to make three quarters of your army ground-based people and you have to make plans for them. So for instance, if you were playing space marines in the scenario because they're everybody's golden boy, you may have a devastator squad that you know full well okay, these guys are not going to make it to the center aisle. I have no plans of making them to the center aisle, but I will make sure they're on top of a building by the time the magma comes, so I have a fire base to shoot from. Um, you may also have people that deep strike or have fly that you may want to land on, if there's a building close enough to the island, they are not physically going to be on the island, but they're going to be within range of it. So this island becomes a kill alley, or whatever you want to call it, a murder alley, where everybody is not only in close combat, more than likely, but they're also being shot at from all different angles. And you may want to, you know, retreat or do whatever in order to allow other people to sh shoot at that. And it there's a lot of strategy in it once you realize that, you know, the floor is lava, as the children say. By a certain turn, you know, whatever's left on the ground is going to die and you have to plan for that, but at least you know ahead of time. So, of course, you know, things like your jet bikes or your um, scourges or your jump packs or whatever, technically, they would be able to ignore the terrain, I'm thinking. That's the way we played before. So they actually could stay, you know, on over top of the lava or standing in the lava, technically, and they'd be fine. But it was really cool because we would usually play it with four players. So it's every man for himself, and it was four different players and it was just such a bloodbath. It was awesome. It was a really, really good mission. And there's that randomness I always love, and you should be able to tell from my brutality missions, that I love when the environment itself is a hazard. I think that tells a much better story than just every world is like, oh, you know, uh, meadows and green acres. And I really like the randomness of it because you really don't know. You might take a gamble and go, okay, well, hopefully next turn it's not going to, the lava's not going to come. But you never know. And it completely throws out all of your normal conventions of list building because you know this whole dilemma is coming. It also makes you have to be really ready for melee because the 
you know, that meta, that center board, if you want to cap that objective, you're going to be in melee. And that makes some really interesting strategy options. So hopefully you'll give that a look. And I, uh, that like I said, it's one of my very favorite missions we've ever played. And it's just a completely unique, fresh way to play Warhammer. And um, if you guys are looking for any suggestions, I would say probably a thousand points each, 750 points each is a good thing if you're going to play four players and uh, just have fun with it, you know? Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. It is now time for Real Talk with the Pimpcron, and today I have a repeat guest who is my longtime friend. And repeat sex offender. And repeat sex offender. Yeah, don't allow him, what, are you, what is it, within 200 yards of a school you can't be? Something yeah, like that. I had to move because of that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, we're just kidding. He's not He's not a registered sex offender. That's where I'll leave that. He's not yeah. registered. No one's caught me yet. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, um, this is Loremaster Alex. Hey, guys. Hi, Mr. Loremaster. Hi, guys. How are we doing? All right. I'm doing just fine, and I can't wait for this topic, because this is one of the, what would the term be? Penultimate, I think? Penultimate topics to talk about. And that would be, why don't more women play Warhammer? Yeah, this one's going to be a fun conversation to have. Absolutely. More fun to see people's reactions. I can already hear uh, SJWs and everybody else being triggered. I, I hear distorted bass in the distance. Dis distorted bass? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so first of all, what is one of your opinions on why more women don't play Warhammer? You know, it's one of those things where you know most women, of course, nowadays... You do start seeing more and more women playing video games and doing this and that, uh -huh. you know, the comic books, you know, liking that kind of stuff, which is great. Yeah. I feel like Warhammer, it's an investment. It's a hobby for a lot of guys and this and that. And I feel like it has a stigma because of that, that it was a very much male centric kind of hobby. And most women just perceive it that way that, oh, it's a guy's game. So you're saying that women aren't put off by comics because it's basically a single-player game. Like, you're reading a comic, and you can read a comic, period. You, yeah, and there are really cool female characters yeah. and a lot more. But you think that more women don't play 40K because they have to deal with all the men. I think it's more that it's it's a stigma. That I'm not saying a stigma that's true or not. I'm saying it's that, you know, for the longest time, it was a bunch of sweaty guys in a basement playing this game. Just like, and sometimes just, it still is. Sometimes it still is. Uh, shout out to uh, <laughs> shout out to our old game store. Oh, God. <laughs> Gamers paradise, my ass. And I feel like, you know, uh, comic books had that same kind of uh, stigma where, at, you know, back in the day, it was like, oh, it's just a bunch of nerd, nerdy guys who can't get laid hanging out doing this and doing that. But then as, you know, the comic book movies started coming out, you know, uh, it became more mainstream where it then, you know, you start ha seeing more women reading comic books and liking, you know, the Marvel movies and, you know, really enjoying stuff like that. I feel like Games Workshop is still stuck with its stigma and it hasn't really been able to figure out an effective way to reach out to new female players while also keeping their original fans happy. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that I have the answer to that, because God knows that I don't. 
but I'm saying that that is something that they will have to eventually figure out. I personally feel like there's a lot of reasons why women, why more women don't play Warhammer. And one of the reasons is, is it seems like just judging from the Facebook groups that I'm on, some women get into Warhammer, but they only get into the hobby aspect of Warhammer. It yeah. seems like they really like to paint. And some women are dynamite at painting. Like, you know, just pick up a brush and, oh, I'm awesome. Yeah. Like, like and unfortunately, I keep, I forget their names, but there was a couple that came to Shorehammer last year from South Carolina. If you guys know who you are, North shout, Carolina. North Carolina, yeah. excuse me. If you guys remember who you are, shout out from the Lore Master Alex. So, yeah, well, shout out to that, to that couple. Uh, wherever you guys are, I hope you're doing well. Um,. So naturally, like, you know, women are just as good as men as at painting or whatever, but they don't tend to play. Yeah. And, and I feel like it's just that, you know, it's a, uh, it is something where they're not very, it's not, it's, it's competition. Okay. So a lot of people are probably going to lose their mind over this, but like, I just know from my experience that my wife does not like competitive games. She's yeah. all for, you know, board games that are casual or board games that are cooperative or whatever. She does not want to be pitted against somebody so, else. So, like, she likes Pandemic, where you guys work together. To destroy all life on... No, to, to save all life, where, oh. as, like, Munchkin, everybody's trying to kick each other's ass, but yeah. also and, trying to take out the dungeon. And, of course, of course, we're talking in platitudes here, because, I mean, every woman is just like every man, they're different, you know, yeah. from each other. But, generally speaking, women are social, more social, more cooperative people. Men are more isolationist more competitive people and that's just like our our nature generally and i feel like men are much more inclined to be competitive in 40k or want to you know play the game and kill things and whatnot where women are more like the artistic expression of oh painting models and things like that yeah doing a lot of custom stuff yeah um you know i've also noticed that this is just judging off facebook groups i'm part of but Women seem more to be drawn to Age of Sigmar than 40k, like by yeah. by multitude. Like I feel like that's the Lord of the Rings effect. Maybe, yeah, maybe the whole fantasy realm. Yeah. Um, because anytime I see a woman paint something on Facebook and post it, it's almost exclusively Age of Sigmar. Yeah. And if it's not Age of Sigmar, then it's Tyranids. Yeah. Because for some reason, women are just drawn to Tyranids. Maybe because um, uh, Alien. Maybe Ripley, Alien. You know? I was gonna say that um. Oh, well, I wasn't going to go with a pop culture reference, but yeah, maybe that's something like that. But I was also thinking like Tyranids, you can come up with really crazy designs. And if yeah. women are, if women are joining to be creative, then you can have all kinds of weird color schemes on Tyranids that you wouldn't really see on a space Marine. So do you think that there's all kinds of allegations every time anybody brings up the fact that women might be part of, you know, that, that, uh, what deters women from playing 40 K? Mm. Everybody says, oh, it's the misogynistic, you know, chauvinistic men, you know, all boys club, yada, yada, yada. Have you ever experienced that where they turned girls away or women away? Um, I will honestly say that in some of the Games Workshop's mini stores back in the day, mm -hmm. it was very similar to that where it was more that the guys would just oogle and ogle like, oh, my God, girl in the game store, <laughs> you know, where really... You know, with our group especially, we're very much like, oh, hey, how you doing? Yeah, you're interested in the game? Well, come on over. Let's take a look. True, except and for we, the fact and that... And we're like that with everyone. Yeah, yeah, we're that way with everybody, and um, most of us aren't 10-year-olds yeah. in our mindset. But um, Most of us. Most of us. But, um, like, honestly, I've been playing 40K for, like, nine years or something at this point, 
And I have only, I've had many women come up to me and say they play, but I have never played against a single female 40k player. And I have only played with one. And that was when we did one of our bro trips across the bay. Mm. So we traveled like three hours away and I finally got to team up with one female in a big group game of like eight people. One female. So, like, to me... Was the me, game sponsored by bradsears.com? <laughs> <laughs> I think we know where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't. And, um, but, so it's it's interesting to me, because people are like, you know, I've, I've had women come up to me, like, um, specifically a couple cons we've been at, and they're like, oh, I play 40K. And I'm like, really? And they're like, yeah, but I've never actually seen one play, except for that one time that one woman actually... If I'm not mistaken, no, that actually the the second one would have to be that um, the girlfriend uh, from that couple at yeah. Shorehammer. She actually did play. She did. She played in Highlander. Oh yeah, okay. Yep. Um, I her name escapes me, but yeah. Bobby is her boyfriend. Yeah. Um, because I know Bobby. I don't really know her, but yeah, Bobby's awesome. Yeah. Um, the all the the Hatters gang are cool. Yeah, definitely. But um, so anyway. Um, I don't see what the whole hubbub is. Everybody goes, oh, the guys ogle the women. Oh, the guys are so rude to the women. Or they mansplain. Or they whatever. And I'm sure that happens somewhere, sometime. Yeah. But I've never personally seen that. Yeah, neither have I to an extent. I have seen it like once or twice, but not to like the point where it's every time. Yeah, and usually the, the excuse is, and it's usually... Nearly always it is men saying this about men yeah. because there's very few women that actually play. Yeah. So it's like, oh, because us guys are so terrible, white women knights. don't play. Yeah, I feel like that's the white knight syndrome. Yeah. Um, because, oh, us guys are so terrible. We need to be more progressive, et cetera, et cetera. But, and maybe our group is just different. Yeah. Because our group had, would not bat an eye. If a woman came in and wanted to play, we'd be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that would be it. Like, so, I don't know. I just think that all that's way blown out of proportion. I honestly think the issue that women, the reason why women don't play as much Warhammer as men do, and it's a male-dominated hobby, I think is because the women that are interested in it stick more to the hobby because of the whole artistic expression type thing. And not as many women play um, because they're just by their nature, generally speaking, women aren't as competitive as men yeah and uh, unfortunately a lot of men in this game can become very aggressive yeah and if they are competitive players like power players and stuff like that and i feel that can shy away a fledgling female player as well yeah and you know we have we even our group has power players you know what i mean yes um all we're mostly casual but yeah. yeah um so like my wife the only thing that interests her in this game at all would be painting models like she painted up a blood bowl team and some some little stuff. I mean, she's not much of a painter either, so she's she's completely not interested in this entire hobby. Mm -hmm. But she's definitely not interested in the game. Yeah. Um. And um. Like my um. Steve's wife. Yeah. She would help him paint stuff, but she had no interest in playing the game. So, and that's usually what it is. It's it's the husband plays Warhammer, the wife doesn't, or vice versa. Yeah. Or, like or my my ex uh, my ex fiance, she was. She really liked to do all the hobbying and stuff like that. And she always said she wanted to learn how to play. 
So I was like, okay, well, why don't we, when you, when you come over from, from Cali, you come over here, we, you, you can come with me to my game night and you can learn how to play. Mm-hmm. And what'd she do? She sat there and did not play. Yeah. And it's like, I think a lot of times women, um, our friend Brent, he, he claimed for years that his wife was going to play Warhammer and that she was going to do this and she was going to do that. And honestly, I think that the feeling I got is that she just told him that because that's what he wanted to hear. Right. Because she never, she painted like a model or five models or something and never played a single game. Yeah. She just wasn't interested. Right. You know, like I just don't think women, there might be a slight stigma to it. That's why like a lot of men don't knit. Yeah. Because there's like kind of a stigma because it's a kind of a female thing, kind of. Yeah. And then maybe the whole thing like, oh, Warhammer's kind of a male thing, kind of. You know, like that's why they, but I think by and large, I mean, I think any normal, what? Nothing. What? You're over here (laughs) smiling while I'm talking. What? You're just so cute when you talk. Oh, no. (laughs) No, I'm serious. Uh, I'm just smiling because like you make some really good points. Like it is one of those things where you know, you guys still think about it. We, male and female, we have a lot of tendencies yeah. to lean that way. So when Warhammer, you know, it's like I said, again, it comes back to stigma. Like, you know, we don't knit because to us, the stigma is that's predominantly a woman thing. So even though we may enjoy knitting, if we ever gave it a try, we're probably not going to give it a try because it's not something that we're going to be exposed to. Right. You know? Exactly. And like, for instance... Um, they talk about, we've, we've had a, another show, um, whether it's been played at this moment or not, I don't know, but we have another, um, session where you and I are actually talking about female models in Warhammer and why aren't there more female models in Warhammer? And a lot of people claim that's part of it. Like, oh, there's not enough female representation. And that is the truth. There really isn't yeah. enough female representation. Except, Unless you want to be an elf. Space um, elf. Yeah. Eldar, they're just. 50-50. I was going to say chock full of females, but really that's more like half. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so, but you know, like my, my children, like my, my three daughters, they like things that have girls in them. Yeah. And they just want to be girly. So, but the funny thing is a space Marine. I mean, I know lore wise, it's really a male, but you could just say it's a female say, Oh, I have all female space Marines. And they just don't have boot plate armor. They're just in regular Space Marine armor. Because, I mean, boot plate armor really wouldn't protect you that better anyway. So, I mean. Uh, so, now we're getting into boot plate armor comments. So, <laughs> so boot plate, everybody complains about boot plate. And I understand, you know, they don't want to be sexualized or whatever. But actually, H. of Sigmar um, did some pretty good boot plate-ish uh, stuff with Age of Sigmar. Yeah, for their uh, for the new for the new lineup, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, and it's like a bar of like, it's basically a sports bra looking armor. Yeah. It's like one long thing across the front. It's yeah. not individual breasts. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I actually think that's a good compromise. But, I think um, so, too. I, I'm just saying, because if you think about Space Marine power armor, it's like how many layers of ceramite, you know what I mean? True. So. So, but, you know, honestly, like, um, I was getting back to my children. They they only like things that are girly. They they don't like things that aren't. And I have not raised them this way. They're just this way for whatever reason. Yeah. But I think adult women are more intelligent than that, obviously. They're not going to be like, oh, there's not enough girls in it. Well, I'm not going to play. I don't think that's it. Yeah. I, I think it's more that it's just not up their alley. Yeah. Like, it just doesn't it doesn't appeal to them. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I said, I, again, I say it comes back to the stigma, you know, that it's it's a very more masculine thing to do, more masculine game, mm. or perceived to be more masculine. It's perfectly fine that we don't agree. 
but I don't agree with you. Like, okay. I mean, I'm sure that plays some part, but eh, I don't know. So pistols at dawn? No. No? We're not going to shoot shoot each other about this? No, my vision's too bad. Oh, okay. <laughs> Let me get my glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> Told you to stop masturbating, Scott. I'll never stop. I will never, ever stop. Scott, Scott we're doing so. the podcast. Can't you stop for five minutes? <laughs> oh, I need a bottle of water. <laughs> Dehydrated. Um, anyway. Well, that, that just devolved into garbage now. Yeah, it really did. Um, but So, all in all, I think most of it's bogus. Yeah. I just don't think most women are interested in it, period. And maybe, you know, maybe they did go into one store and found one asshole that was, you know, all misogynistic or whatever. And sure, that happens. I'm sure it does. Yeah. But from what I've seen, most gaming men nowadays are not your neck beard basement dwelling. You know what I mean? Like it used to be. Yeah. And I, I feel like most of that's bogus when they cry foul saying. I agree. I, I still stand by my my belief that, you know, is it has a stigma just like comic books that mm-hmm. if. um, Just like how comic books kind of became mainstream, thanks to other forms like media, media forms like TV, movie, stuff like that. That kind of really was the shot in the arm that the comic book industry needed to survive, if you think about it. You know what really gets women's engines going? Huh? Toby Maguire. See, that's what happened. Toby so you're Maguire, telling me we need a Toby Maguire Imperial model. Guard movie? We need Toby Maguire the model. The model. See, <laughs> see that's as if he's not already a model. Uh, yeah. Um, but... So that's what happened. I figured it out. Women just love Tobey Maguire. And when Spider-Man came out, the first one, that's when women got into comics. Because they're like, I need more Maguire. I need more Maguire. Yeah. And I need my fix of Tobey. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Good lord. So that is my fix for it. GW, if you're listening, we need a Commissar Tobey. We need a Chapter Master Tobey. We need a uh, uh, Overlord Toby. We need a War Boss Toby. Just shove a bunch of Tobies in everywhere, and I you expect will... a Toby Maguire Tyranid model to be made. Oh my God, that is awesome! Hive Tyrant Maguire with that gift. Hive Tyrant Maguire with that. He's sculpted with that goofy ass look from yeah. the the meme look yeah, from uh, Spider Man yeah. Three. Like he just farted and yeah. he's looking around. <laughs> So I think that's basically all we have to say there. Um, we don't entirely agree, but we mostly do. And uh, if you know if you are a female Warhammer player out there, give a shout out. You know, tell us why you play the game and why you think a lot of other women aren't interested in playing the game. Now that actually would be interesting to hear because yeah. I've done articles about this on Bell of All Souls before, and I only had one like certified uh, X chromosome, <laughs> like female. Like, one female actually respond. The rest of it was just white knighting all over the place. Yeah. So it would be great. Now what I'm gonna get now is a bunch of guys just with the username Kim or something, you know, and they'll yeah. be like, "Yes, I am a human female, and this is what I think." Hello, I am a 16 year old American girl who plays the <laughs> Warhammer game. I think it is very sexist what you say. Exactly. <laughs> So we're going to get basically a bunch of telemarketers and spam bots that uh, are not actually females. But no, seriously, though, if you are a female player out there, give us a shout out. Tell us what you think. Yep. All that would be in the show notes. Um, That would be the email and the phone number. So just check that out and give us a ring. 
Thank you, as always, for being on the segment with me, Mr. Warmaster Alex. Hey, thanks for having me. Yep. Bye-bye. Let's get brutal. And here's the part of the show where we get brutal with the Pimpcron. And we discuss my free rules, use your own models, RPG light skirmish war game called Brutality Skirmish War Game. And we take about five minutes of every episode to discuss the lore behind it because I've spent three years making this and it has been a lot of fun. And we're constantly updating the backstory and the lore and things like that. So I always wanted a game with a big, rich history to it, similar to Warhammer or Lord of the Rings or any of the other games like that that have just a huge, epic backstory. So I also really wanted players to be able to place whatever characters or warbands in it that they wanted to and make it completely plausible. So the world's constantly changing, there's new people being added, and so on and so forth. And tonight, I'd like to discuss a portion of the Aether Realms continent around the center of it. It's a huge woods, and it is called the Whispering Wood. It's a land of trees and shadows. There's also a lot of fog in this area. It's Everything's real drab and dreary and thick with fog and shadows and trees. This is the place where all rumors and tales of what is going on are gathered and documented by the Scribe Grove. Now, what is the Scribe Grove? Well, these are trees in the center of the Whispering Wood that have etched words just appear on their bark out of nowhere, and they're constantly peeling off their bark, and it rolls up into scrolls. It is here that only the fleetest of foot may raid the grove and risk their life and sanity to snatch up a scroll or two. There is no way of knowing what you might find on a scroll from this place, but it is said that there lies a single scroll with Ishtar's true name, with which one may command her to stop this infernal plan and send everyone back home. Basically, it's a place that is shrouded in mystery and shrouded in, you know, fog and darkness and whatnot. And this is where things just get written on these trees that nobody really knows about, uh, like exactly why this happens. But there's all kinds of information about, you know, the different goings-ons in the realm and who's doing what and what, where's the base to this, you know, um, faction or whatnot. Who's made a deal with who or what. And no one's really certain why Ishtar does this, but it's basically like she's chronologuing? <laughs> what am I saying? She's, she's chronicling. There's, the, there's, the, there's that word. Hey, you. Uh, chronicling the uh exactly what's going on here and for what purpose who knows and maybe she's writing a book we don't know but the point is is that these trees are constantly being written on and they're peeling off in the scrolls there's a huge old man about 10 feet tall he's roughly humanoid nobody knows exactly what he is but he never bathes apparently because he's covered in moss and overgrowth and he actually looks like he's becoming part of the actual forest and um, he's just called the scribe. And basically what his duty is every single day, and it almost seems like more of a punishment than anything else, but who knows. And his job every day is to go around the entire scribe grove and collect all of these scrolls in a big bag. And exactly what he does with it, nobody knows. But he's this huge, round, hawking person. And he's like hunchbacked, and he's just covered in all these robes. And all these robes are basically just, you know covered in foliage and moss and all of that 
And the scribe grove also, there's a lot of people that will lose their mind in it because there's all kinds of illusions and tricks and whatnot, and it's very, very easy to get lost in it. And being that there's no food in the scribe grove, and it's fairly large, and that you don't really die when you die, people can more or less get lost in there and starve to death. And by the time that you starve to death, you've certainly slept, which means that when you die, when you wake back up, you're back in the scribe grove again, which is, you know, no bueno, as most of you should probably know. And I really like the idea that, you know, demons and things like that supposedly have a, a true name, you know, like the uh, grimoire of true, true names for chaos demons, where if you know their real name, you can control them. And... I like that idea for her because she goes by, historically, Ishtar has gone by so many different names. You know, the great whore of Babylon or, you know, uh, the goddess or whatever. So I really like the fact that every once in a while, in all of these rumors that pop up on this bark, every once in a while, her real name just shows up, peels up, rolls up, and gets picked up. And if you could, if somebody could just grab that, that would be the ultimate power and they could free everybody. What I also like is that this is a way for people to learn about their surroundings and what's going on in the world. And actually, when I was doing our campaign at the store, I, uh, if you'll remember, like uh, Necromunda had a, uh, a newsletter they did each week uh, back in the 90s. And I was doing that, and it was called the Whispering Herald, because there actually is a newspaper, more or less, in the land of Ishtar, and it uses the Scribe Grove to get all of their information, and they leak all that information out. So I really like that idea of the Whispering Herald sending people in, you know, just to collect random scrolls and hope they find it, and they'll find information about, who knows, a disease or uh, military action or the death of somebody or the arrival of somebody or whatever, who knows. But it could be incredibly powerful information. So, of course, if you're trying to make a name for yourself, there's tons of people that go into the Scribe Grove and look for these scrolls and hope that they, A, don't get lost in there and starve to death, and B, hope they don't lose their mind, and C, find something that is not entirely trivial. So, that's a whole facet of the economy, just trying to run into there and grab as many scrolls as you can before either the Scribe gets you or the Scribe Grove itself takes its toll on you. I believe that's it for this week, and hopefully you enjoyed it. I will see you next week, and thank you very much for listening to my program.